This is episode number 57 with Dr. Carla Brown. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back. I've got such an interesting show lined up for you today. If you've ever wondered about why we have all of this antibiotic resistance and how we should prevent it and what we should know about it, today's show is going to answer a lot of those questions. I've got on Dr. Carla Louise Brown, who's the founder and director of Game Doctor, a UK-based studio devoted to developing games and technology for science and health education. Carla completed her PhD in microbiology at the University of Glasgow that was focused on development of novel antibiotics from gut bacteria. During her PhD, Carla began investigating the use of mobile games for science education and developed a game called Bacteria Combat, which is an app-based game on bacteria and antibiotic resistance. Following her PhD, Carla completed a postdoctoral fellowship in game-based learning at Drexel University and completed several game design roles in science museums and research institutions. It was this work that inspired her to launch Game Doctor in 2016. And to date, she's led the development of over 10 technology and media products. Carla was featured on Forbes 30 Under 30 list for science and healthcare for her work in educational gaming and technology. And what was originally going to be a conversation about her startup journey really also became a kind of a deep dive into this whole area of antibiotic resistance and what we need to know. But as always, this is for informational purposes and is not intended to replace your relationship with your trusted healthcare provider or doctor. Um, so really good conversation. Can't wait to share it with you. And so let's get into the show. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Michelle. I'm I'm really honored to be on your podcast. Your previous guests are just amazing. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, well, I'm really excited to talk to you. I love talking to scientists. We're just going to kick off the interview. I'd love to just ask my guests to take us into their stories because you have your PhD in microbiology, but you started a company called Game Doctor, which is devoted to developing games and technology for science and health education. And it's always so interesting to hear how somebody's journey has evolved. So could you take us into your story? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, my career started off in microbiology. And I have always been fascinated by microorganisms, even as a small child, which mm. is a bit strange to admit, maybe. Um, so, yeah, so from school, I, I did a degree and a, a PhD at University of Glasgow. And my PhD was looking at developing new antibiotics from, from our actual gut bacteria, which was pretty exciting. Mm. And this was to address this massive problem that we're facing now of antimicrobial resistance. And I felt, because I was working on that topic, I just felt this massive responsibility to educate the public because 
I knew that the drugs that I was making had to work. And for Mm. these drugs to work, the public had to understand the problem. And as I was making new drugs, I wanted to target the future users, which are, of course, the younger generation. Mm. So started going into schools, went and done some workshops, done some public seminars. And I think through all of that, I maybe reached like a hundred people maximum. Mm. And for and for me, that just didn't feel enough. You know, you're you're working on this massive topic. You yeah. want to change change behavior in thousands of people. So I started, you know, thinking about how we would engage young people effectively and what was currently popular and entertainment. And games seemed like a really nice, a really nice um, format to explore. And what was also so nice about this is, you know, the whole battle between antibiotics and bacteria is, you know, it's translated also so nicely into a game because mm. it's so comp- so competitive. So it was around that time that I was actually living with an artist. So we <laughs> used to, yeah, we used to stay up most nights with a, you know, a couple of glasses of wine and we started putting this game together. It was, it was a card game originally. And it was kind of like a we we made a top trumps Pokemon styled game to educate on antibiotics, and that's when I really started to see the value of games. I was taking that game actually around the whole of the UK, so we tested it with about three hundred school students and two large science summer camps, mm. and we collected so much data. And it, the game itself, well, gameplay alone showed that it could change students' attitude towards antibiotics and educate them on bacteria. And from there, I guess I was just kind of hooked. I'd done a part-time job after that in a science museum and made a game on poo called Poo Racer, which is um, <laughs> which is available on Android. <laughs> and, um, and then I went and done a postdoc in game-based learning in Philadelphia, which was amazing. And through all that work, I decided this is it this is what I want to do. And so I came back to the UK and launched my own studio, which is Game Doctor, which is where I am now. Wow. This is such a great story. And how many years ago was that, Carla? So I launched Game Doctor before I moved to the States, which was in 2016, Mm -hmm. and then worked on it part-time until last Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I've been working on it full-time for about a year now, which is crazy, crazy, but exciting. (laughs) Wow. So it's so fascinating. So you transformed the way that you wanted to educate and the work that you were doing, which is so needed. And just to have that insight, I think, is really powerful and also to realize that you need to target the younger generations of people mm-hmm. also very insightful you're obviously very creative too and um we can talk more about that because i know that you created another video uh that i'll ask you about in a moment but um take us into game doctor so it's a solution driven organization that aims to transform stem and health education through the production of digital media so you develop mobile games software media so um why do you believe that games are the best way to teach children about these important issues what have you seen from your work and and how it's translated yeah so as I kind of discussed with the postdoc that I done in digital game-based learning, I spent two years reading all of the literature on educational games for science. I spent two years carrying out my own research and also developing my own games with my team. 
And the evidence for me, it's it was unarguable. What the evidence is showing now is that games not only have the ability to improve learning outcomes, they're also increasing um, sorry, they're also increasing students' motivation mm. and engagement, and they're also able to engage diverse learners as well. So, for example, um, autism spectrum disorder learners, so ASD learners, yeah, it, it's been shown that games and technology are amazing for these type of learners, and that's what's so great about games is not not only can they educate and engage but they can capture so many different types of learning groups rather than just traditional learners. Carla why is that I didn't mean to interrupt you but is it because it's accessing different parts of the brain what why is that? So with the research that's on ASD learners it's been focusing a lot on immersive technology based games so augmented reality Mm. and virtual reality And the research is sort of indicating that they think it's all to do with the way that this technology and media can make these learners focus, Mm. because a lot of these learners find it hard to focus on, you know, in the classroom with traditional classroom based learning, Mm. because it's, you know, it's, it's an engaging and immersive experience. And that's, um, again, that's very developing research, but very exciting research. Wow. Okay, let's get into antibiotic resistance, which I think scares people. Can you just, (laughs) I think there is a lot of confusion around it. Can you give us a somewhat simplified explanation of what's happening with, you know, what has caused this to happen in the first place? Yeah, so I could talk about the subject all day. (laughs) So quite simply... Antibiotic resistance is when bacteria, Mm -hmm. so bacteria that cause infections, mutate in such a way that leads them to become resistant to these drugs. So I'm going to give you an example. So for example, there's some classes of antibiotics such as penicillin Mm -hmm. that kill bacteria by disrupting the production of a really important molecule called peptidoglycan. So peptidoglycan is like a key building block of the cell wall, which is kind of like the bacteria's skin. Mm. It gives it structural integrity. So penicillin stops the synthesis of this by binding to an enzyme involved in its production and making it completely inactive. So when we have penicillin, it stops this enzyme from working. It stops peptidoglycan being produced. The cell wall is really weak and the bacteria die. Mm. So perfect we've got a drug a drug target amazing Mm. but bacteria are very different from humans in that their dna replication machinery loves to make mistakes Mm. so our machinery does not want any mutations does not want any mistakes you know that needs to be avoided but in bacteria the enzymes that replicate dna naturally make naturally make mistakes and are error prone so when bacteria replicate there's random mutations happening all the time Mm. so it's fine if these mutations happen in you know really non-functional proteins but if these mutations happen in these really key important proteins like for example that enzyme penicillin binding protein then it can completely change the shape of that protein the antibiotic can no longer bind and then that bacteria is resistant Mm. so bacteria love to mutate to overcome selective pressures and they do that all the time with heat with cold but what we've done 
because we've completely oversaturated the planet for the last 50, 60 years, we've made antibiotics the key selective pressure for bacteria. So we're constantly selecting for these resistant mutants all the time. So this is why we need new drugs that bacteria have never seen before. And these drugs need to be used prudently, not just, you know, I feel like we have a very much not luxurious we just take antibiotics all the time Mm -hmm. um you know people don't need to be running to the doctors and demanding them for viral infections it's Mm -hmm. just not necessary they will not do anything because they only work against bacteria yeah and i'm a mom too now but when i (laughs) was in my 20s i used to get recurring sinus infections that i think were viral and so i was given antibiotics all the time. And at some point I'm like, these are not working. And I remember telling my doctor, like, I'm good. Like, I didn't even go anymore. I just stopped going. But so, you know, but then I had my daughter and I remember when she had like a mild ear infection. And I remember asking the doctor, I said, I'd rather hold off unless she absolutely needs it. And I said, what about antibiotic resistance? Is that something I have to worry about? She's like, no, you don't. It's people in the next 10 years or something. It was a really weird (gasps) answer. Yes, that's what she told me. And she said, you really need to give this to her. And so I think she was prescribed antibiotics uh, two or three times where she absolutely did not need them. So it's a tricky thing. Yeah. So I'd love to get your input because I I know people are going to be listening and go, oh yeah, I was given it to, you know, for acne, I was given antibiotics for like a host of reasons or for my kid. And I don't know if they needed it or not. So love your thoughts on that. Well, can I ask first, what age was your daughter when she received this course? Probably she really was, she didn't really get sick much. I would say like she was probably three or four. Mm, Okay. So there's two things here. So first of all, the attitude of that professional is, is unbelievable because that is not what we're training our professionals to to communicate to patients. Yeah. It's ha- it's happening now. People are dying now. You know, 25,000 people in Europe every year die from resistant infections. Yes. Second of all, when children are that young, their microbiota, so the, the bacteria and microorganisms in their body, are still developing and they've not really got a robust population yet. So by constantly giving them antibiotics you're disrupting that population Mm -hmm. and not really allowing their immune system to develop properly either so it's it's twofold it's it's first of all let's preserve the drugs that we have Mm -hmm. and let's give our immune system a chance it needs a chance to develop absolutely and so what kind of questions would we be asking the doctor then what are the questions should it be is is our antibiotics absolutely needed it's the lingering cold and the flu and the ear infection. That's when you need to be careful because 95% of the time it's virus. Mm. Yeah. And kids are getting, um, like my daughter, for example, now is allergic to penicillin. So this, when she did need to take it again for strep, she had a weird reaction. And so, you know, how do you prevent? So then how do you prevent the resistance? Is it just from abstaining from using it when you don't need to? Or um, how do you know that you've not already triggered that in yourself or your your kid? So prudent use is the best way. But I mean, it's very likely that most of us will have a resistant population of bacteria. 
I mean, as I said, bacteria mutate all the time, mm. all the time. We've isolated resistant bacteria from the permafrost in the Arctic, which means they're at least a millions of years old. So this right. is even be- this is even before we invented antibiotics. The antibiotic resistant genes existed. It's just the random mutation of bacteria. Wow. Um, but yeah, but I think everyone has a responsibility. One thing that I think is quite interesting um, is how we how we work with our pets because mm. pets are massive users of antibiotics. Mm. However, I did just lose my cat, so I oh, think I'm sorry, Carla. It, it's, it's okay, but I think yeah, if my cat had an infection, I would find it really difficult to say no. But there's a lot of regulation in the UK now going into animals and pet prescriptions with antibiotics. But I think we all, we all have a role to play, and especially when these new drugs start to come out, if the investors will stop being scared of investing in these companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read something really sad today that investors are now just running away from antibiotic startups because, because there's so much resistance. Doctors are too scared to use these last resort drugs because they worry that they'll, you know, the resistance will go against them. So it means these companies aren't really able to sell these new drugs oh, no. because they're they're being stockpiled by doctors. So the consequences investors are just running away from the industry and, and that market, which potentially is going to have disastrous effects. Whoa. So it's a very it's a very volatile industry right now and market right now. Completely. And so, okay, so I understand that the bacteria like to mutate, right? And then they create the resistance. But um, I read once too that it was something about, because you talked about our environment is all of the antibiotics being used in animals like cows and the foods that we're eating is a huge contributor. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So the livestock use of antibiotics is a massive contributor. In the EU, our regulations have got a lot better on that. I know that the US is not as well regulated as the UK, mm-hmm. but the problem is, is farmers use antibiotics as growth promoters uh, in cattle. Uh. Yeah, so they're not. It's not like they're using them to treat sick animals. They're using them to make big juicy meat for us to eat. Oh shoot! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you can see why the incentive is low for these farmers to stop using them. Um, there was actually, again, I read something in the news recently. There was an investigation in a farm in the UK because in the UK it's, a, it's pretty much illegal to do that now. And they'd found out that some farm was giving them antibiotics again. And it's just, I mean, it's just such a, a dangerous output because those cattle, you know, we eat them. So then we ingest those antibiotic resistant bacteria potentially. Mm. And then, you know, everything that, is in the environment with the cattle as well, is, is going into the soil, you know, their manure. It's it's just very dangerous to chuck and saturate antibiotics into livestock. What a huge level of responsibility you must feel doing the work that you do. Because, you know, just as a parent, it's just like hearing this is like, oh my goodness, it's so scary. <laughs> um, or just as a human, but um, knowing that what you know and, you know, but I guess you're doing it in your way and you're doing your part with, getting to the future generation, because, you know, just like I mentioned that doctor who'd been practicing 30 years to said that to me, um, you know, well, you don't have to worry about it, you know, 10 years from now, people will. And I thought, I don't know if 
that's a good enough answer. Um, but what about all of the sterilization? Let's talk about this, because I think with all of the fear that's out there, um, and I would include myself in that, a lot of us have become germaphobes in many ways. So how do we, how do we not like, because there's good bacteria. So how do we not also, you know, just keep destroying the good bacteria? What, what are your thoughts on that? So first of all, I see the word germ as a swear word. <laughs> um, <laughs> why? Why? It's just got such negative connotations. If you Google the word germ, the image of an alien will come up. It's so <laughs> foreign and disgusting. And as you said, there's a lot of good bacteria out yeah. there. In fact, the majority of bacteria are what we'd call good. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's really about being responsible about the use of antibiotics. It's every time we use antibiotics, we wipe out our healthy microbiota. Even washing our hands too much can wipe out the microbiota on our hands, which is why you can get really dry hands if you're, you know, washing your hands all the time. Mm -hmm. And also you may have seen there's this massive movement now of probiotics and how we should be supplementing ourselves with good bacteria such as lactobacilli mm -hmm. in the form of these nutraceuticals or supplements or even just yogurt as well. Mm -hmm. And then especially in the Netherlands, you've got the fermentation movement, you know, you've got um, kimchi and kombucha and yeah. everything. So I feel like we are starting to embrace microorganisms a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But there's still so much work to be done. Do you think and probiotics are good? I didn't mean to interrupt you, but are probiotics taking them a good? Do you think those are, is that actually a good thing? I am very skeptical on probiotics okay. because the research is not strong. So most probiotic papers show, it's almost like a placebo effect. There's mm. not strong data to show that they have a beneficial impact on the patient. So probiotics have been used for inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, C. difficile, even dementia. Like, you know, the, the applications of probiotics is, is insane if you actually start to look into it. Mm. But for me, the data is just not there yet. And if you think about it, how can we create a single tablet that's going to work for everyone? Mm. Everyone's microbiota is like their fingerprint. It's so diverse and so unique. Mm that we can't just expect one pill to work for everyone. So I'm positive that the, the industry will improve and we might get some answers. So for example, some really interesting work that's been doing, that's been done by a company in Scotland called Interobiotics is they use fecal transplants. Yeah, I've heard about this. I think it's <laughs> yeah. fascinating. I mean, I, I'm just amazing. so curious. Yeah, it seems amazing from what I read about it as well. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so a fecal transplant is just what it says on the tin. So you are taking the feces of a healthy patient, so that would be a really high concentration of their gut microbiota, and transplanting it into another patient. And this is extremely effective for patients with C. difficile. Mm. So that's the, the hospital superbug. Um, and it's been, again, investigated for Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease. We use, There's different methods of doing it. You can swallow it as a pill which is fine you can also almost like wait 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 you can swallow it as a pill yes I yes. thought it had to be done I like in like almost like a surgery where it was like really monitored yeah. you can swallow it like a pill now 
Yeah, so that's what, it's my friend James, he's one of the founders of this company. They've developed a pill, which is working, he says. Or you can obviously go up the other right. entrance. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah. but I think it's such a fascinating area. And again, that shows that as a, as a culture and a community, we are becoming more open uh-huh. to microorganisms and less germophobia, I believe. Wow. Okay. So obviously you're not a fan of hand sanitizers or things that, you know, in the preschools and stuff, you know, they got to wipe stuff down. Sometimes it's a bleach concentration. Sometimes it's just those, those wipes, those antibacterial wipes. Um, You know, it's a complicated area because we're constantly trying to cleanse things, right? And killing the good and the bad. And that's what the antibiotics do. They destroy the bad bacteria that we want to get out. But in the meantime, unfortunately, they destroy the good as well. Right. So what, okay, so we're going to get into your company because I'm, we need to cover (laughs) that, but this is just so interesting. And you, this is, I know people are going to go, this is so helpful. Um, So is there a way to test the health of our microbiota? Is there a way to, is there something that assesses how your gut health is doing that you're aware of? Yes. So in the lab, we can do that very well. We do that with um, DNA sequencing. So we literally take a sample of your poo, (laughs) spin it down into a slurry, (laughs) extract the DNA and have a look what's in there. We know the kind of rough profile of a healthy microbiota. Mm. So it has lots of bacteroides, lactobacilli. You don't really want too much E. coli in there. Um, so, yeah, we, we have rough profiles, which look good. Quite interestingly, the past two, three years, the biotech industry has jumped on this. Mm. So there's companies now that do testing of your microbiome, which they just send a kit out to you. You send them back some poo. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of the company that recently went bankrupt that did this called Ubiome. No. It, it was a bit of a scandal, I'll maybe let you read it after the podcast, but it turned out that their methodology was a lie and they were sending oh, no. fake data. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, and that's why you have to be really careful about this field because it's still developing. Mm. We can't, you know, we can't 100% say that you're healthy because everyone's so different. Yeah. And I think it's really easy for companies to exploit this because it is sort of immature and not as robust as it needs to be. But I, I predict that within the next 10 years, these kind of microbiome testing companies will be everywhere. Okay, so you're not obviously one of those people that gets on the airplane and starts wiping down your seat then. <laughs> no, def- definitely not. Definitely. <laughs> Tell us why, though. Tell us why. This is the part of the education. Again, it's it's all about immune system stimulation. So our immune system matures and is stimulated and develops through our our healthy microbiota. Yeah. So our immune cells are constantly going around our body looking for things to sample. And when they find our good bacteria, they sample them and they remember them and they activate and they grow. And this is really important because it's given your immune system lots of activity and lots of little things to check and really developing your immune memory. Mm. And that's something that I really, you know, I really want to promote when I'm teaching science as well that being too clean prevents your immune system doing all these amazing things mm. you need you need to kind of see some of the bad things sometimes you need to give yourself a good memory so that if you see these things again in a 
bigger concentration that your immune system's equipped and ready to deal with them. Mm. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Um, so if somebody's microbiome wasn't healthy, you're saying they can get it healthy again, but can you ever get the diversity of bacteria that maybe you once had prior to a, a dose of antibiotics or is it, that's it? Yeah, so again, there's some really amazing research on this. So it has been shown that if you do massively disrupt your microbiota profile, it can sometimes shift completely for the rest mm. of your life. Oh, bummer. <laughs> we yeah. don't want to hear that. Okay, go ahead. But, but, but not to an unhealthy state, just to something oh, different. Yeah. That data also showed that it takes around a year for your microbiota to reestablish as well, which is, this was in mice, so, but they're very similar to to the human system actually which is quite cool but you can get there again by just I would say just don't take antibiotics unless you need them that is my final message yeah yeah so let's get into the games then so you started game doctor to educate and what are the age ranges of the kids that you're targeting to learn through your programs yeah so we we mostly target younger students so usually between primary school and secondary school mm -hmm. and to this end we work with universities and schools and colleges and healthcare organizations and we really like to ensure that there's a pathway for our games to be implemented so for example we were recently working with a team at University of Cambridge mm which was comprised of scientists and educators and public engagement professionals. And that team, before any development had started, had partnered with multiple schools in that region. Mm -hmm. So when the game was finished, boom, they could put it straight into schools. And we quite like to work in this way because our clients tend to not have the budget or resources for marketing. And when you have to rely on people downloading an app, it starts to get quite difficult. Yeah. As, as you can imagine with the amount of content that currently exists mm -hmm. on the app store. So yeah, we, we like to work with groups and teams that have direct access to schools or have partnerships with schools or the students. And in terms of our target audience being students, that's really what we're passionate about. And we think really aligns with the trend right now. So mm -hmm. mostly in our company, we develop mobile games. And the mobile games that we develop are described as casual games. So these are simple games that can be played in about five to 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And they're one of the most popular trends in mobile gaming for young people right now. Mm -hmm. So Candy Crush is, is a casual game. Right, right. <laughs> We're all addicted to Candy Crush. No, I've, I've played it a few times, but yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And what's really great about this is these casual games also align with the resources and budget that our clients have. Mm. So we can typically turn around a product in about three to six months from start to finish, which we're really excited about. And that also includes, you know, user testing and getting it at the site and making sure it works. So we, we, we like that that's how we're working just now. I think, though, as we grow as a company... And as we get investment, which we're trying to get just now, yeah. we are we do want to put more budget into marketing. Yeah. So we have been exploring a partnership with two publishers. One is an educational publisher mm -hmm. and one is a commercial publisher. So that when we have our in-house um so that we have our in-house product ready, it's it's ready to roll and we've got the engagement from the users 
already. That's so exciting. So you basically, you, your business does a couple different things. You created a, 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 a game called Bacteria Combat. You've got mm -hmm. Fungal Invaders. You mentioned mm -hmm. Poo Racer. I don't know if, you, if that one's still part of it. Uh, I'm still curious what that, what that was about, actually. Um, <laughs> you might have to just fill us in on that. Um, and then, then you also consult to other companies and develop games for them around health issues. If I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Yeah, exactly. So our game, so our company has two prongs, basically. So we develop in-house products mm -hmm. such as Bacteria Combat that we sell or we distribute to the gaming community, or we develop games for clients such as healthcare organizations, universities, or government. The second prong is what we get most of our income revenue from yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And it's also really exciting because it allows us to build big partnerships in the UK and also the US as well. Mm -hmm. And we feel that through these partnerships, we're also able to really progress the field of game-based learning, mm. which is something that I really want to do throughout my career. Game-based learning <laughs> is a very interesting industry. Mm. And a lot of people are doing very different things. And what we want to do at Game Doctor is to be the national recognized hub in the UK for the development of these products. So we're aiming very high. Good for you. I love this. And so do <laughs> do the health institutions or universities buy your games as well? I mean, do they have need for, for example, bacteria combat and putting that in the school systems? Or are they also your clients in that regard or just to develop their own programs? It really depends with what clients. So with Bacteria Combat, that is actually currently on the Public Health England website in its web game format. Mm. So we provide that free for them because the mission of that game is to educate and change behaviours on antibiotic resistance. Yeah. And that game was developed on the back of a grant. And that grant basically said that we could not make money on that product. So that game uh, is actually free. Yeah, it. that game is actually got free. Got it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. But with our clients, most of them come to us with these amazing, crazy ideas, and we make bespoke games for them. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. For example, we're, um, we're working with a scientist at University of Leicester, and she works on pneumonia. Mm -hmm. So we're developing a casual mobile game with her to educate the Leicester community on pneumonia, mm. which is really cool. And she's she sort of reminds me a bit of myself, actually, because mm. she's a hardcore scientist, but she has that passion and that urge to really engage the community yeah. and have impact. And that's something in the UK that we're actually quite good at. So there in the UK, there's the research excellence framework that we call the REF. Mm -hmm. And that rates all universities on their ability to impact the community with their research. And that means that universities are innately motivated to do these projects. And a lot of researchers love doing games and media and educational resources to fulfill their need to impact, which is great. The UK is quite an interesting market for that right now. So... As, the year, as we've progressed in the company, we've just got more and more clients that are trying to fulfill that need, but also engage the community on their exciting science or work in healthcare. Wow, this is huge. And I, I think education is everything. I mean, to educate 
the kids and so that they just get it. So so if I were to play, for example, bacteria combat, what what would I be seeing and what would I be learning? Sure. So bacteria combat is like a card battle game. Uh-huh. It's very very much inspired by Pokemon uh-huh. and Top Trumps. I am unfortunately a massive Pokemon fan. <laughs> so you can either have like a bad bacteria card or a good bacteria card or an antibiotic card or immune cell card and you can battle with either the computer which is bacteria bot or your your friends or your family and use your special powers on your cards so each card has like a strength score a speed score a resistance score um and a special power score which is like based on their genetic their unique genetic function and then it's kind of just like the highest number or the strongest power wins it's, it's quite fun it's again a casual game so you can play the whole game in about 20 to 30 minutes wow yeah and so I, I love it it's amazing <laughs> and what's fungal invaders what are we what are we learning with fungal <laughs> invaders what's what's the the reason behind creating that one yes so we were working with a, a group of scientists at University of Aberdeen mm-hmm. in Scotland, and they are working on antifungal resistance. Mm. So that is... Another increasing- resistant. <laughs> Great. Everything's <laughs> they, they, resistant. You're right. Yeah. The increasing ability of fungi to resist the drugs against them. I know. So they wanted to basically develop a massive arcade that they would put in museums and have at events. And they wanted it to be quite retro vibed. So we made this Space Invaders styled game where you're shooting out drugs and you're being attacked by different fungus. <laughs> it's quite fun. It's quite fun. That game's been really great because it's been installed in several science museums. It's received thousands of visitors. Wow. We're at about 100,000 now, which is great. Wow. And it's been taken to the Scottish Parliament, Manchester Science Festival, the Royal Society Science Festival. So that's done really well. Carl, the only thing. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. The just, only thing. Yes. I, I was going to say the only thing is, is the mobile app versions have not done so well because the scientists didn't have a marketing budget. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's that's something that we see quite a lot that the the games that go into science museums do so well, but the apps just linger behind a little bit. It's all about yeah, the marketing budget. This is interesting. This has come up a couple times. What drives you? I find you so interesting. I mean, what? <laughs> drives you like what when you get up you're clearly very driven um what tell us about what that process is for you what's your motivation so I've had to work incredibly hard to get where I am Mm -hmm. I'm the first person in my family to go to university Mm -hmm. I'm the first person in my whole generation to do a PhD the first the first person to start a business and I when I went to university, I remember applying for Edinburgh, which that's one of the top universities in Scotland, and almost being judged mm. for, you know, where I came from and what my background was, and feeling like I didn't really belong in the world of science. Mm. And I want to completely combat that. I want every student, no matter what their background is, what their knowledge base is, what their learning style is, to feel like they have a role in science. Mm because because they do and I want to I want to help you know these students in the community feel empowered in science and feel empowered in healthcare because we are our first our, our own hero and our own worst enemy mm. and and I really do believe that knowledge is power yeah. 
if you have knowledge, you can make the best decisions in life and live a perfectly healthy life. And I, yeah, I just think that science is also amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, no, can, I can hear that can fire. Here. Yeah, I love it. I love talking about science. <laughs> so this is super <laughs> fun for me. I could keep you on all day, but I promise I won't. So what is your vision for the company over the next five years? So that's a very exciting question. So the first thing that we absolutely have to do is we're setting up a permanent office in Glasgow. Mm. Right now, I'm currently jumping between two hot desky small offices in Edinburgh and England. So that's exciting. That should be done by January of 2020. Mm. Once we have that sorted, I'm putting all of my energy into getting this investment. So just a little backstory, we're right now raising investment to develop our own augmented reality platform for science learning. Been so unsuccessful so far, but have learned a lot from the pitches and meetings that we've had. Yeah. So that that's my next year we're getting that investment. There's absolutely no, you know, no ifs or buts. And then from there we want to get our product on the market and then just keep growing and striving to be recognized as that expert studio in the UK. What is the product, Carla, that you're doing? Is it with the augmented reality? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we're, we're as I sort of discussed in the, the earlier conversation, yeah. we're really excited by AR because it does show benefits for diverse learners, mm-hmm. such as ASD learners. Mm-hmm. And our biggest goal is to build a more diverse workforce in science and engage different learners into science. And we're excited about the value that AR is going to bring to that. We've made a prototype, which we've been using in our pitch, which is quite exciting. And I've been testing with students and teachers. So definitely watch this space. I am very excited about AR, mm. much more than I am about VR, actually. Okay. Because I of the data? I, because of the data and how it helps? I think, yeah, and I think also the applications as well. Mm. AR, for me, has a lot more applications than VR. Mm-hmm. And right now, I think there's still quite a lot of barriers to VR for my clients anyway that the budget and the headsets and maybe there's a little bit more resistance so we're excited with AR. So augmented reality how do you take that in versus virtual reality you were talking about headsets and needing like to see things so how is it different with augmented reality what do you do there? So augmented reality is just on your own device so what you be it's almost you almost have like a facial recognition system on your device Mm -hmm. and when it recognizes an image or an object which is what we're doing it displays content on your device so the reality is on your device but not in real life if that makes sense whereas virtual reality you need the headset to be immersed in the experience yeah but I mean there is now AR headsets as well that have been developed by Google which look amazing (laughs) (laughs) there's it's exciting I think the industry is going to explode over the next five years, especially with the implementation of 5G as well. That's, I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen in ed tech. We're all kind of waiting. <laughs> what is, so what is the 5G? I know there's a lot of people here petitioning. They don't want it. I don't know enough about what the implications are or what it all means. Well, 5G is just a much faster, you know, much faster network than 4G. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, the limitations that we have right now with our AR products is make, getting it to load and especially yeah. if, if we have really high detailed 3D models, getting it to load over 4G. So with 5G, we're hoping that the speed and efficiency is going to be a much better, you know, much better through that network. And actually, this, 
there's an area in England called Worcester that's one of the pilot regions for its, its implementation. So, Carla, how do you define success? I'm a really purpose-driven person. So for me, success personally is when you see those desired outcomes happening in your with your colleagues and your community and education or healthcare. That's for me, it's never about money. It's always about the outcomes. Mm, love that. Okay. And do you have a morning or evening routine that fosters your success? I'm definitely more of a night person than morning. Mm-hmm. So I tend to work 9.30 till 7 because I work with some US clients. Mm. And my only, you know, the only constant I have is I always have dinner with my partner at night mm. because it's, it just gives you that little boost, doesn't it? Of at course. The end of the day. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's, that's really lovely. Okay. What advice do you think your 80-year-old self would give you about life? Oh, I, find, I find this really difficult to answer, actually. Mm. I think it would be, you are doing absolutely fine. Don't listen to anyone else. Girl, you've got your head screwed on. Just follow your heart. (laughs) I love that. Carla, can you please leave the women listening with your three best tips for living a good life? So number one, be kind to yourself and always put your mental health first. The second would be to travel. So I absolutely love traveling. It gives me this buzz when you just throw your whole routine out the window. And when you go there, take time to actually immerse yourself in the culture because you always find something new about yourself, which I love. Mm. And then finally, work with that person or those groups of people that you would never normally work with. You know, there's nothing more magical than when completely different people get in the room and start talking. Mm. And it's always a bit scary, but you just never look back. And that's why I love working with developers and artists because we're just so different and Mm. so much magic happens. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Where can I direct people to learn more about you and your work? Sure. So all of our projects and products are on our website, which is gamedoctor.co.uk. And that's the word game and the word doctor. We're also on Twitter and that's also Game Doctor. Or you can, of course, just follow me personally but I mostly just talk about cats and bacteria <laughs> and games. Um, and my personal Twitter handle is Sai underscore game girl. So it's Sai S-C-I underscore the word game underscore the word girl. Awesome. And I'll link everything in the show notes so people can find you. Thank you so much for your time today. I It was very educational and interesting. So such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Lovely to speak to you. I hope you loved today's interview as much as I did. I found the conversation so fascinating, and I'm really impressed with what Carla has developed so far and can't wait to see where her company goes. If you want to access the show notes for today, please visit thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 057. And if you've been gaining a lot of value from these conversations, would you be so kind to take a minute to subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave a rating and review over at iTunes? My goal for 2020 is to have more women accessing this show so that they can be elevated and inspired in their lives. So thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting next Wednesday. Bye for now.